Our New Testament passage today picks up with 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. You then, my child, <laughs> Paul's heart. Paul's heart toward a son in the faith. He says, you then, my child. Now, now Timothy was a grown man. But this was not a term of put down. This was not a, a term of superiority. This was a term of affection. Halingbella, when I was a young boy, growing up in Michigan, if somebody called you a boy, those were fighting words. If you were called a boy, hey boy, th those were fighting words. When I went to live in Alabama with my dad, my dad always called me, this is my boy. People would say, Chuck, where's your boy? And at first, in those early days, man, I wanted to punch people in the noses for, for speaking so disrespectfully of me. But I began to learn words mean different things in different places. Ah, Timothy, my child. This was a term of affection. This was a term of love. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So here's another. In Christ, in Christ we find grace and strengthened in grace. Ah, made strong in grace. And what you have heard from me in the presence, so there's no secrets. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Wow. So Paul said, now listen, pass on what I've taught you. He said, I, I, I taught you things that it wasn't in secret. I, I, I taught you publicly in the presence of many people. He said, take what I have taught you and entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Now, now this is the role of a pastor. This is my role. I, I look at the assistant pastors and I say, hey guys, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, okay, pass these things on. What I've taught you, you teach others. See, no one in life, no one should be what I call a truth dam. Nobody should be a truth dam where, where truth gets bottled up and held back and reserved by you. I always teach people that if you want God to teach you more, pass on everything that you've learned. Now, I, I live my life like that. That's why I'm always learning, because everything I learn, I want to pass on. But I've met so many young pastors in life that rather than want their, their, the ones that they're training to be as strong as they are, that they want to keep them down. So they don't pass on teachings. They pass on criticism, but they don't pass on teachings. He said, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust this. Give this as a, as a gift of stewardship to faithful men. Ah, now there's something I've had to learn in life. Don't teach everybody. <laughs> now, here I'm not talking about the services. Here I'm talking about leadership training. I have had to learn. Don't teach everybody because not everybody is faithful. Only entrust truth. Pour your heart out. Spend your time with faithful people who will be able to teach others. 
Now, you know, honestly, I've met pastors in my life that cannot preach and probably never will be able to preach. Wow. Don't waste your time with people like this. They don't want to develop themselves. They don't care about preaching. So you know what? You have to just, you have to learn to prioritize your time, Timothy. And, and th this is what, what he's talking. He, he's talking here about priorities. And make this a little bigger for you. He's talking about priorities. He said, Timothy, prioritize faithful people who will be able to teach others. And then he said, share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Ah! You know, I meet so many young people today, and they think ministry is going to be like being a movie star, like being a celebrity. It's all about being in front of people, and everybody likes you, and it's a popularity contest. And, you know, if you have that idea, usually those preachers get shipwrecked pretty quickly. Uh, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know, one of the things you have to learn in the ministry is you're going to get into the trenches and suffer. And notice it's serve as a soldier, not an officer. Now, now please, nothing against officers. I know we've got a lot of officers in the church. But guys, for the most part, officers are back in the officers' areas. And they're making decisions in a nice room. But the soldier is out there on the front line getting shot at in the dirt, the mud, the rain. I mean, you know, the average grunt, as they used to call him when I was a young man, the average soldier in the field, it's not an easy life. You, you talk to the soldiers in our church, it's not an easy life. He said, now that's the ministry. He said, that's the ministry. You share in suffering as a good soldier, not an officer, as a soldier. And he said, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him, who enlisted us, Christ. So our aim is to please Christ. And we don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. We're not out there selling longaniza. We're not out there selling abita. We're not out there... You know, we don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. We are, we are not involved in business. You know, and I, I meet these pastors and they take a three-month period of Paul's life when he was uh, tent-making just to survive there in Corinth as he pioneered the church. They, they forget that that was not Paul's lifestyle. That was Paul's interruption. And, and they just stay entangled in civilian pursuits. All of my life, I've had offers for business. And you've never seen me do that. You see, everybody has different temptations in life, but people who are good at business always have that temptation of business. You don't get entangled, and it is an entanglement. You don't get entangled in civilian pursuits, whether it's business. I know preachers today that are getting on television as celebrities, and they're getting on television as talk show hosts. They say, well, you know, it's good for our influence. No, they're getting entangled in civilian pursuits. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Wow. Now, Paul said, Timothy, you know, you might win the race. You might get there ahead of everybody else, but there's no reward. No reward if you didn't follow the rules. No reward if you don't follow the rules. 
An athlete is not crowned. There is no crown in heaven for leadership if you don't compete according to the rules. There are rules in ministry. Ah, you remember he's writing to a young pastor. He said, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now notice, here we are talking about um, support. Here we are talking about income. Okay, you don't, you don't get involved in civilian pursuits. And now he brings it down and said, now this is how. We don't do it by getting involved in civilian pursuits. It is the hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. Okay, so the pastors, you work hard in the ministry, you get the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Ah, so how to learn. This is cool. How to learn. Number one, you think over and God gives understanding. How many times have I taught you over the years that God gave us a brain and he expects us to use it? Remember even Joseph when he pondered, when he tried to figure out what to do because his, his betrothed was pregnant, Mary was pregnant. As he began to think about it, God spoke to him. If you want to learn, first you got to think over things. You got to ponder things. You got to turn your brain on. And that's when God will begin to give you understanding. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Paul was very clear. Timothy, you don't go preach this gospel that some of these guys are doing. I, I taught you the real gospel. For which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Paul said, listen, you know, because of what I've done for the gospel, I, I'm sitting here in chains right now, but the gospel is not chained. He said, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Now, pastors, if you're listening to me today, and I know so many hundreds of you listen to me every morning, pastors, we endure what we endure in the ministry. We endure the criticism. We endure the backbiting. We endure the backstabbing. We endure the, the lack of thankfulness. We, we endure everything we go through, the lack of getting paid. We endure everything for the sake of the elect. We're doing this for the people. You endure for the people. Just like a, a physical father. You know, some of the physical fathers and mothers during this lockdown, man, they have worked before sunrise until 10 o'clock at night, cooking, delivering, just to put food on the table for their children. Why do they endure for the sake of their children? Pastors, why do we endure what we endure for the sake of the elect, for the sake of God's people, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory? We're not doing this for the world, or we're not doing this to be somebody. We endure everything for the people. The saying, the saying is trustworthy. All right, now here's another one of those trustworthy sayings that you need to make a list of. The saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. <laughs> if we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, oh, and I love this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Ha! 
Now look at that piece by piece. If we died with him, we will live with him. All right, so we have hope for the future. If we endure, we will reign with him. All right, so there is reward. If we deny him, he will also deny us. There's consequences. If we are faithless, now Paul says, now this one's a little different. If we are faithless, he doesn't abandon us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Some of you right now listening to me, I've talked to you, I've counseled with you in the hospitals, we've Zoomed, we've Skyped. Some of you, you said, Pastor, I don't have any more faith. Beloved, even when our faith runs out, he's faithful. And I've been there at times in my life. I've just said, Lord, I, I've got no more faith for this. I've, I've done everything I know to do. I've believed with everything within me, God, and it's my heart is still full of doubt. My heart is still full of unbelief. I'm, I'm double-minded, God, and I don't want to be double-minded. He's never failed me. He's never forsaken me. When I'm faithless, he's faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He made the promise. Faithful is he who promised. He can't deny himself. Oh, I'm going to get myself preaching happy here in a minute. Beloved, please. In your discouragement this morning, lift your heads. His faithfulness is greater than your doubt. Oh, his faithfulness is greater than your unbelief. His faithfulness is greater than your questions. Faithful is he who promised. He can't deny himself. He can't deny, oh, I've got to stop preaching here. He said, Timothy, remind them of these things. All right. This, he said, Timothy, this is what to preach. People are always asking me what to preach. All right, Timothy, what do you preach? Remind them of these things. What things? All of this stuff. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. Now, here's, here's a command, all right? This is not a request. This is a command. Charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but it only ruins the hearers. He said, listen, stop the debates. You know, people have wanted me to get on television and, and debate with people and stuff. You're never going to see me do it. Okay. You're never going to see me do it. I'm not going to quarrel with people about words. It does no good, but it ruins the hearers. It ruins the people that hear it. She said, so stop quarreling about this stuff. Now, again, notice this is all about the people. Now, as you read through Paul's letters, you know, when Paul says that he has the care of the churches in his heart, as Paul talks about Timothy and Titus, that he, they, they have the same concern he has for the people. When you begin to read through this, you begin to see, hey, we're enduring everything. J just look at some of this. We endure everything for the sake of the elect. 
He said, now, now listen, remind them, we're talking to the people of God. He said, we're talking about the hearers. And this is going to continue here as we go. Do your best. Now, you know, <laughs> we're not perfect. All right. We're not perfect. Do your best to present yourself to God, not to the church, to God. As one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. All right, so my sermons are for God first. I often tell young pastors, they say, how did you learn to preach? I learned to preach out behind a Texaco gas station in a little town called Dolphin, Alabama, because I worked the afternoon evening shift because I worked full time and went to college full time. And I would, we had these little, I didn't know how to explain, a little air tubes out in front. And when a car would come in late at night, it would ding the tube so I could go out. So ding the bells rather. And a lot of times, you know, you might only get 10 cars in an evening. And, you know, from like from seven o'clock until 10 or 11 o'clock when you closed up the station, you might only have a few cars late at night because it was on the highway. I learned how to preach all by myself in that Texaco station. Sometimes standing in the mechanics bay, sometimes standing out back preaching to the stars. But I got a hold of this. Present myself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But I present myself to God. My preaching first is for God, then for the people. If God will approve of my preaching, the people will be all right. But he said, now, Timothy, avoid irrelevant babble, which is useless, worthless talk. For it will lead the people into more and more ungodliness. Now, here's the problem with the modern church. The same problem that was in the um, Dark Ages church. In the Dark Ages, sermons used to be about the proper way to comb your hair the proper way to care for the physical body that was made in the image of God. And, you know, it all sounds very spiritual, but it was a bunch of nonsense. It didn't teach anybody how to live. He said, Timothy, this useless talk, this telling jokes in the pulpit, forgive me, guys, this telling jokes in the pulpit, let's open every service with a joke. Why? Because some public speaking things had to do it. I don't see Paul opening every, every epistle with a joke. Paul opens every epistle with Paul, an apostle of God, called grace and peace, mercy. I mean, Paul's openings of his epistles are incredible. Paul never opened his epistles with, let me tell you a joke, everybody. Avoid irrelevant babble, for it will lead the people into more and more ungodliness. All right, so teaching... Teaching sets the direction of people's lives. You, you, you put worthless stuff in the pulpit, and people are going to go to more and more ungodliness. Ah, their talk will spread like gangrene. Have you ever been around somebody with gangrene? I have when I was in high school. Yeah. First of all, the stink. I mean, gangrene really stinks. It's like, Dead, I mean, it's, it's dead flesh, and it spreads until you have to cut off a whole member of the body. You have to cut off a leg or cut off a toe or cut off a foot because gangrene has set in. 
He said, you know what? There are members of the body that had to be cut off because it kills. The worthless preaching in the pulpit has killed people. Wow. Worthless talk in the pulpit has killed members of the body, and they have to be cut off. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. Now, there's an interesting word, swerved. Just, yeah. Have you ever seen somebody swerve on a highway? Just, yeah. They don't stay in the lane. All right. Here's the truth for you. Truth has a lane. Stay in it. <laughs> stay in your lane. One of the things they teach you in driving school, stay in your lane. Okay. Preachers, stay in the lane of the truth. Don't, don't swerve. Truth has a lane. Stay in it. Now, what truth have they restrained from? Saying that the resurrection has already happened. Now, here is the fruit of false doctrine. Fruit of false doctrine. They are upsetting the faith of some. False teaching, false doctrine, foolish talk upsets the faith of people. I mean, forgive me. It's like, like pushing over the proverbial apple cart. I mean, it makes a mess of people's faith. He said, but in spite of all of this goofiness, okay? So I, I like to put down here, in spite of. In spite of all the goofiness. Let me pull it up here a little higher for you. In spite of all of this, okay? In spite of all of this, we have this. God's firm foundation stands firm. I don't care how much foolish talk, irrelevant babble, notice irreverent babble. I don't care how many preachers swerve from the truth. I don't care how much false doctrine has been taught. God's firm foundation stands Bearing this seal, God's foundation has a seal on it. The Lord knows those are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. All right, so there are two seals, two, 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 say, two statements on the seal of foundational truth. Two seals. If God's Firm foundation stands true, God's firm foundation of truth. One seal says, the Lord knows who are his. Let these other guys do their talking. Let these other guys do their irreverent babble, their worthless talk. Let these other guys do their false doctrine. But God knows who belongs to him. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. He said, I know these guys have swerved from truth. I know they're not living right. But he said, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. We live right. All right. Everybody say, we live right. All foundational truth teaches us to depart from sin. All right. Let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
our Old Testament passage today picks up in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 1. And remember, now this is a young prophet, and he's up against battling with these older prophets who, forgive me, were, were not speaking God's word. They were speaking their own imaginations. And here's this young man standing up trying to speak what God is saying. So we pick up in Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 1. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Now, remember how often I've taught you about source. Now, you know, you don't eat balut. You don't prophesy out of your own imagination, as the scripture says. But the source has to be from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army and all the kingdoms of the earth under his domain and all the peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and all its cities. All right. So this is at the height of the battle, all right? So this is at the peak of battle. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, go and speak to Zedekiah the king and say to him, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. You shall not escape from his hand, but you shall surely be captured and delivered into his hand. You shall see the king of Babylon eye to eye and speak with him face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword. You shall die in peace. And as spices were burned for your fathers and former kings who were before you, so people shall burn spices for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have spoken the word of the Lord, declares the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah in Jerusalem. When the army of the king of Babylon was fighting against Jerusalem and against all the cities of Judah that were left, Lachish and Azekah, for these were the only fortified cities of Judah that remained. And the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So here's source again. After King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of victory to them, that he would set free his Hebrew slaves, male and female, so that no one would enslave a Jew, his brother. And they obeyed. And all the officials and all the people would enter into covenant that everyone would be set for his slave, male or female, so that they would not be enslaved again. And they obeyed and set them free. But afterward, ah, they turned around and took back the male and female slaves they had set free and brought them into subjugation of slaves. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So here's source again. Now, uh, this is what I, I call, um, <laughs> re I don't know what to call this kind of stuff. All right. You know, you, you'll see people like this that are what I call professional repenters. They're really good at repenting, but they can never live with their decision. Okay. Verse 13, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I myself made a covenant with your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, at the end of seven years, each of you must set free his fellow Hebrews who have been sold to you and who have served six years. You must set him free from your service. But your fathers did not listen or incline their ears to me. You recently repented and did what was right in my eyes by proclaiming liberty each to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house that is called by my name. But then you turned around and profaned my name when each of you took back his male and female slaves, which you had set free according to your desire. 
and you brought them into subjugation to be your slaves. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, every one of you to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim to you a liberty to the sword, to pestilence, to famine, declares the Lord. I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will make them like a calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. And their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and beasts of the field. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, I will give into the hand of their enemies, and into the hand of those who seek their lives, into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which has withdrawn from you. Behold, I will command, declares the Lord, and bring them back. Now notice they had withdrawn. I will bring them back to the city, and they will fight against it, and take it and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without repentance. So here we look at professional repenters. Get my pen working. Professional repenters, all right? That says repenters. You just can't read it because my pen won't work. Professional repenters. So repentance means an about face. So if you look in this direction, repentance means I'm going to turn around and go this direction. But these people turn around and go back this direction again. Folks, when you repent, live it. Okay? When you repent, live the decision of repentance. Chapter 35, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them and bring them to the house of the Lord into one of the chambers then offer them wine to drink. So I took Jehazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, and his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Agdaliah, the man of God, which is near the chamber of the officials, above the chamber of Maasiah, the son of Shilom, keeper of the threshold. And I, said, and I set before the Rechabites pitchers full of wines and cups, and I said, drink wine. But they answered, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, You shall not drink wine, neither you nor your sons, forever. You shall not build a house, you shall not sow seed, you shall not plant or have a vineyard, but you shall live in tents all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he commanded us, to drink no wine in all our days, ourselves, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, and not to build houses to dwell in. We have no vineyard or field or seed, but we have lived in tents and have obeyed and done all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against the land, we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for the fear of the army of the Chaldeans and the army of the Assyrians. So we're living in Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now notice, then, okay? Now no, notice, notice how Old Testament prophecy worked, okay? He obeyed. And then more revelation. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and say to Judah, the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction and listen to my words, declares the Lord. Then command that Jonadab, the command that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his sons to drink no wine has been kept, and they drink none to this day. For they have, they have obeyed their father's command. He said, I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. I have sent you my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently. Notice the persistence saying, turn now every one of you from this evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave you and your fathers. But you did not incline your ear or listen to me. The sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have kept the command that their father gave them. But this people have not obeyed me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them and they have not listened. He said, listen, there are consequences for disobedience. I have called to them and they have not answered. But, <laughs> but to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Because you obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts and done all he commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. Ah, so there are consequences for disobedience and there are consequences for obedience. All right, we'll see you tonight. Seven o'clock, we're going to get right back into Romans chapter eight.